0: Welcome back to Be More Super The Podcast, where we explore the world of entertainment with celebrity interviews from your favorite movies and TV shows. So grab your popcorn and let's get to know these stars better and what really makes them super. We are brought to you by PropStore.com, where you can find your very own piece of entertainment memorabilia from screen-used props to costumes. Now, here's your host, Brian Garner.
1: So on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we're joined by another great guest. Literally, this guest is an actor, director, producer, voice artist. The list goes on. I could be here all week listing off this man's talent. It's David Hater. David, welcome to the show, sir.
0: Thank you for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for your dedicated series to Warrior Nun. We are all very grateful for your investment in our little project.
1: And, you know, what? I only just re- realized literally my past, like, I think seven or eight interviews has literally been for Warrior Nun. Um, and that just shows how, um, you know, amazing this show has done. So, first of all, I wanted to say congratulations on the show because it is the highest rated. I've got a slide here to pop up on the screen. The highest rated show on Netflix um, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is 100% critics, 99% um you know all audience score i mean how does that feel um being part of a show having your fingers in the pie as they say and f- for these to be the result it must be fantastic
0: yeah it's it's astounding yeah we're the best reviewed show in netflix history uh or, or best best reviewed television season anyway and um yeah we you know we did uh we did the first season and it came out great and everybody was um you know loving the show um but for the second season we said you know we really want to drop the hammer down we want to make sure that you know every episode has amazing action and is a you know that every episode is sort of a, a little movie unto itself and um we made a lot of risky decisions we uh, we wrote it way too big for our budget, and uh, but Simon Barry, being the brilliant showrunner and manager that he is, managed to pull it all off, um, and then to have it come out and to have the response be so overwhelmingly positive is, uh, is a very, um, it's an amazing feeling. I mean, it, you know, you work so hard on all of these projects, and some of them come out and nobody likes them and some of them, some of them come out and, and they're okay and some of them come out and they're they're big hits and there's no there's no real way to know but it's very gratifying to know that all of the all of the work you put in and all of the hard decisions you made along the way um, seem to pay off uh, mm. for people so um, yeah it's very gratifying
1: I mean for for everyone out there obviously your voice and your face is very well known um, and I wanted to start out at the big beginning, especially for this character here. Um, I used to play this game when I was young, younger. Not so now because I've got kids, and I never get time to to, to for myself. To be fair, um, so let's start start at the beginning because obviously you've got so many tools in your tool bag, as as they say. So what on earth propelled you to get into this industry to begin with? I mean, what inspired you to get into the the business of show business
0: well i uh i did a uh, my my mother urged me to audition for a play when i was uh, nine years old for a kid's version of uh, pinocchio and in, in uh at the el toro civic playhouse in california and i auditioned and i got the role and uh just a side role but uh we did our opening night show and then afterwards they were celebrating with cake and stuff we're all in our costumes and this this girl came up to me and i was nine and she was probably 10 and she asked me for uh, my autograph and there's a picture of me signing it and that was the first time anybody had ever asked for my autograph and i was like i like this a lot and uh and that was it i was sort of hooked um <laughs> then i started doing uh, school plays i started producing school plays i started um you know when i was 15 i started auditioning for uh, commercials and tv shows and things like that and yeah it was just sort of uh, sort of meant to be
1: and the rest I... is his history you've done so much i mean on your imdb it's just incredible to read the amount of credits it really really is so when growing up i know that you've said um that your loves were like batman and superman which is really nice 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 to hear which one Uh, is your favorite is it batman or superman
0: well batman's my favorite it's uh the you know i really love the darkness of of batman i love um there was a there was an issue of the of the batman comics i can't remember i mean long long ago and they said and see he was you know doing so capturing some criminal he's like you can't do this it's against the law and he's like law i don't care about the law i care about justice and I uh, always liked that. I always admired that, you know, his own moral compass is what mm-hmm. leads him and not necessarily the dictates of society. And I love Superman too as well. Um, but, uh, but he's so untouchable and he's so strong and he's so perfect. It's a, little, it's a little difficult to relate to him. Whereas Batman is sort of dark and messed up and, and, uh, and rich. I always wanted to be rich. So that was inspiring <laughs> as well.
1: I mean, if you had the opportunity, because I know Superman has been in the press quite a lot re- recently, with especially with James James Gunn, Hel- Hel- Helm in DC, um, you know, about the writers and the story. I mean, would you like a dig at maybe writing a uh, Sup- Superman uh, sequel?
0: Well, that's an interesting question. I, you know, I've, I've always said that I would stay away from Superman just because it's very difficult to make it work. Um, but you know, I know James Gunn a little bit, and and he's he's so brilliant, and he so understands the tone of of uh, these books, and also I'm sure he is as obsessed with Richard Donner's initial Superman films as, as I am. So um, I feel like uh, I feel like under James, it might be a worthwhile. Uh, story to attempt, you know that, as opposed to it just being so dark and so, um, you know. And I love Zack Snyder, uh, uh, of course. He did, you know, he did our film Watchmen and did an amazing job. But, um, but there's a there's a lightness and I think a comedy that needs to come along with Superman because because the whole thing is so huge and pure and, and sort of ridiculous at its core. And so um, so I, I, I'd be very curious to see what James does with it. And you know, if he ever wanted me to um, to consult on such a thing, I would I would certainly be open to it.
1: <laughs> and that's that's the thing I'm looking forward to is obviously we all love Henry Cavill, and you yeah. know Rich, Richard Donner mo- movies were my favorite fa- favorite. That is my char- childhood, and it always has. Hence, that's why I call my daughters uh, Lois after Lois Lane, and right. I've named my other daughter Kara after Kara Zarel. So that's fantastic.
0: That's yeah, fantastic. Uh, and- I don't know if you know, but my daughter's named Natasha after the Black Widow because I was, I was working on a version of that film in two thousand and four when she was born.
1: <laughs> I, I I don't know how I got away with it, but we've also got a cat, cat called Clark, which I think is great. Oh wow! So so yeah, so we're keeping the cake and not fly. and not
0: divorced yet. <laughs>
1: no, no, not yet, not yet. He's but impressed. um, but no, I collect um, I, I, I've got an original crystal from the original movie. Um, oh, which wow, is all so box cool. framed, and I collect scripts. Um, so I've got my Superman production new script and um, Superman three production new script as well. Um, but I'm a massive Superman fan.
0: I'll tell you something you don't know about that movie. Carrie uh, Elwes. Carrie Elwes um, was a 16 year old intern or PA on the first Superman.
1: Really? And,
0: yeah, and he. He his first thing was he had to go get uh, Marlon Brando from his trailer, and he knocked, and Brando came out, and he said, uh, "What what do you want?" Like this, and he said, "Well, you know, Mister Mister Brando, I'm I'm here to call you to the set." He's like, "What what's your name?" He said, "Oh, Carrie and Brando said, "No, I think I think your name is Rocky," <laughs> and so he's like, oh, oh, "Okay." Uh, it's rocky, but we need to go to the set. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> that is that is right. good old Brando. Brando was the only one that could get away with it. I still can't. I can't get to grips with the fact that he had his lines on cue cards behind the yeah, camera. Yeah, taped,
0: taped, taped to Robert Duvall.
1: Yeah, and 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 literally. Uh, he, he didn't have his glasses on. So when he was giving that very stern sort of performance, it's because he was squinting his eyes because he couldn't see the actual cue cards correctly, which I just yeah. think is fascinating. It really, really is. So when yeah. starting out this industry, David, did you have a plan in place or do you have a plan in place of what you want to achieve, your life goals within your career?
0: I had a plan. Well, the plan was to go, you know, go to Hollywood and be become Tom Cruise or, or Harrison Ford or something. And, you know, I got to I got to play some heroic roles and and uh, play out some some of that in my career. But I was lucky enough to get into production um, when I was twenty uh, seven. I, I produced my first film, and then I realized how much more there was to this industry beyond just just the actor. And um, and I really started getting into behind the scenes stuff and developing, you know, things creatively. And then in 1999, I was lucky enough to uh, to start working on the first X Men film uh, as a screenwriter. And so um, nothing has really gone according to plan, but uh, but at the same time, by never giving up and never s- stopping that search for you know, greater and greater uh, adventures uh, has has served me pretty well. And, and the business kind of, I always say the business kind of takes you where you need to go. And I think I had things to say beyond just just being an actor. And, and um, I'm so fortunate that I get to um, get to do that as a writer, particularly on Warrior Nun, where mm-hmm. we, um, you know, we talk a lot about religion mm-hmm. and uh, what it's like to be a young living person on this earth and um we get to we get to talk about some really cool things for such a you know for such a fun show we we get into some deep issues and and um you know and lgbtq issues and and uh, and it's really nice it's it's you know you feel like you're able to to you know put genuinely valuable thoughts out into the world uh, with this huge platform and and um so yeah it's been it's been it's been a pretty good ride
1: and Worrying On, I've got to say, as you said, you know, representation and the messages. And it's done in such a stylish way that it's not done in, in, in a way that I know there's some shows out there that literally, you know, that that's the point that they're trying to get across. But this right. is done in very a stylish, artistic way. It's just beautiful. So let's talk Worrying Thank On. You. So you came on to season one as a co-producer. So, so how did you that's get approached to start? working on season one of Warrior On?
0: Well, I uh, I went to, so, you know, I've been pitching TV shows for a few years and, you know, I'm a, I'm a fairly well-known writer in Hollywood. Um, so, you know, I'd get meetings anywhere and I would pitch these shows, but then it would sort of come down to the fact that I, I'd never show run a show. You know, I'd never been in charge of a show and, and they're always a little nervous if you take a, you know, a screenwriter, you know, a movie writer and put them in the showrunner chair. So I wanted television experience and I had a, I had a general meeting with, uh, an executive at Netflix named Chris Regina. And I told him, I was like, look, you know, I would just want experience in the writer's room. And I, I, I just want to see how a show comes together. I want to be a part of it. And, you know, you don't need to make some insane deal for me. Um, just, I just want to have the experience. So, um, so he told uh, Simon Barry, and Simon had just set up Warrior Nun, and Simon knew who I was, and, and said, uh, "Yeah, great, come you know, come aboard, let's let's play." And, and uh, so I did, and it was and it was amazing. It was just the writers' room was incredible. Um, you know, Simon and I really clicked on the tone of the show right away. We we sort of fell into what it what it should be, what it shouldn't be, um, and uh, yeah, it was just incredible uh just a very fortunate experience but but again sort of giving you the illustration that what you want in the world just put it out there and put it out there and put it out there and then you know perhaps it will uh come together for you
1: and this is what i like about netflix because net netflix do a lot of like international shows and they can be quite risque with quite a lot of their shows they're not afraid of that um so this is what i like about what warrior none it was Obviously, a unusual concept. It was uh, it was originally from a comic book from the 90s, I think is it Ben Dunn, uh, and then, of, then obviously adapted to this. You then came back for season two as executive producer, going yes. into by now a fan. <laughs> you got demoted. No, I got promoted. Promoted. I was going to say demoted. Um, so going by, uh, you know, now a fan favorite. How much pressure did you feel going into season two, with you know being promoted, having that responsibility, knowing that a lot of fans were were eagerly awaiting what was going to happen after Adriel's, you know, arrival.
0: Right. Um, well, you know. It sounds strange but I know, I don't feel pressure in that way. It's the same thing when I wrote Watchmen you know people are like what are you know how do you deal with the fans expectations and, and all of that I, I just I don't think about it from that perspective. What I think about is what are all the elements that we've got to, to play with here that we set up in season one? how can we take every one of those elements and take them to the next level? how can we amp it up? how can we fire up the audience and, and, and the first step to doing that is you fire up the writer's room and you, and you know, all of the writers get together and we just sort of whip ourselves into a frenzy of, Oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we did this and did this and did this. And I find that if we're inspired by what we're writing and we're, and we're loving it, typically that love comes through, uh, on the other end. And, um, so, i don't know i just feel like worrying too much about fans expectations can freeze you up and make you you know make you afraid to take this step or that step and um uh, i think it's just it's it's a lot better to just start from the perspective of being a fan and what would what would really surprise you what would really make you happy and Mm. invested so uh so that's that's how i come at it
1: and for all the viewers and listeners out there they may they may not know but what does an executive producer actually do? I mean, what is their job? I, I have
0: No <laughs> idea. Um, ex- you know, all the producer credits are are uh, uh, fungible. It's you know they could be they could be all sorts of different things. An executive producer can be somebody you know who owns the rights who never comes to set. It can be somebody who's put together money for the sh- for the show. Um, but typically in television, an executive producer is a is a high level writer um, and creative uh element um you know sometimes a production element you know somebody who who you know helps put the production together but in my case um it just means that um uh that i'm uh, you know I'm, I'm i'm a fairly high level writer in the writer's room mm. so it's sort of so, the best credit you can get short of showrunner
1: yeah no, that's awesome and, and would you yeah. like to if you got given the the opportunity, if Simon Barry just said, you know, I'm going to step aside, I'm working on something else, would you take the show showrunner's job uh, for a possible season three?
0: Well, you know, it's funny we we, we joked about it, but <laughs> you know what Simon does is so incredible and goes so far beyond just the creative uh, writing of it. I mean, he organizes the whole show. He's got you know, this is his fifth series and, and uh, he's got so much experience that while I thought I would want that job, I, I kind of, it's, it's very intimidating to, uh, to think about taking over the production of the entire show. And really my, you know, I felt like my job on season two was the best job because I'll, all I do is worry about the story and, you know, talk to the actors and directors about um, oh, well, this is the reason we did this and we're trying to set up this here and so on and so on, you know, and then the rest of the time I'm hanging out in Spain, just, you know, drinking wine or eating olives. So, uh, so look, I, you know, that would, be, um, that would be a great honor uh, sh- should that come to pass, but uh, I'm not sure I want that. I, I, feel like, I feel like Simon and I, like I say, are very simpatico on what the show is <clears throat> and there are things he can do writing wise that I can't do. And mm-hmm. so um it's such a beautiful balance I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to mess with it really.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean we get such a different feeling in se- season 2 because mm-hmm. you know we start the season hitting the ground running. We really do. And it never stops. And if I'm right in saying originally it was 10 episodes but it got cut down to 8. Um was yes. this for the tempo of the show or was there something else that that, that caused it to go from 10 episodes to eight
0: it's just um it's just a decision by netflix we never uh, uh we never got any explanation it was before and I, th- I think that decision came down before we had broken the season so it didn't hmm. you know it didn't affect the writing okay uh at all um but uh yeah it was just just netflix said we're going to do eight this year and and you know however their numbers come together is a mystery so um but i but i do want to say um you you know to come back to um some of the things you were saying about the lgbtq component of the show um and you were kind enough to say that you know it was stylish and you know felt um, you know felt real and not and not uh not tacked on or anything i can't remember exactly what you said but it was very very kind and I just wanted to say that part of the reason it's so stylish is because our actors are so good. Our, our mm-hmm. cast is so good. Um, and everyone on the show understood that this isn't, we're not showcasing uh, an LGBTQ relationship per se. We're showcasing a relationship a you know, a, a story between two characters who love each other and i think that when you try to say oh we're making a point here or we're trying to you know provide representation or whatever of course we want to provide representation but at the same time it's just it doesn't matter who you love it's it's it the point of it is you love who you love and 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 to let that relationship unfold in a in a real way and not in a stagey way not in a i'm making a point way and so you know, everybody from the directors, to the actors, the writers, was on board with that. And um, also, you know, we didn't—we knew that our, our our fans in the gay community would be expecting certain things or mm. expecting disappointment because they've been disappointed by other shows before. We really wanted to play with those expectations and sort of draw it out and make them wonder in a classic sort of rom-com fashion, like. Will they or won't they? You know, is this mm. going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I've been burned before, and um, uh, and we just, you know, we really endeavored to make it f- feel as as real and as heart wrenching as, as, as possible. So, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm I'm just so thrilled with the response that uh, uh, the relationship between um, uh, Ava and Chris and uh, Ava and Beatrice has mm. has uh, received,
1: and it's so natural. You know, I mean, I can't wait till my girls are old enough to watch this. I really can't because I just think that it's just fantastic to have such kick-ass female characters on our screens. And for me, you know, I don't know if it's changed since I've had daughters, but, you know, I'm seeing more now, you know, female leads. And I'm just thinking Mm -hmm. to myself, I can't wait for my girls to look up to these female leads and have positive sort of role models, you know, on, yeah. on on our screens and good representation as well. It shouldn't be hidden. It's natural. It shouldn't be, you know, put out there in the wrong way or, the, you know. So this is why I like this show so, so much. So at awesome. the end of season one, we see Shotgun Mary encounter Adriel's, you know, you know, army of the possessed. So as you can imagine, yeah. when season two arrived, we were all eagerly waiting to maybe see Shotgun Mary again. Um, I yeah. mean, what was the decision on, on, on not having her survive, um, or bringing her back in some way? Was it scheduling? Was it just a, a story decision?
0: Yeah, it was a personal, uh, decision between, uh, Toya and, and, uh, the production. And, uh, she, you know, I'm not really at liberty to talk about it, but, but she, um, it was it was mutually decided that uh, that she wouldn't be coming back which was a shame because she's a you know such an amazing character and and um, you know definitely a fan favorite and Toya was so good in the role but it uh, yeah it just sadly didn't work out and, mm. and um, so uh, yeah, yeah so we had to we had to revise it
1: I mean, the was time. there anything? But um, at the same
0: time, you know, it kind of gave it kind of gave Camilla a larger role in the in the series in the season, and um, uh, which I think you know she really developed in a in a beautiful way her character, and um, yeah, but it was a shame.
1: Oh, I mean the ju- the journeys um, of these characters in se- season two. Do you know what I love a show where there's no small characters. Literally, every character has exactly, got yeah. such an awesome storyline and camila in the show is just uh, her character you know progression her arc through season two i think is fantastic i mean was there anything you know from the drafts that never made it on screen that you thought oh
0: i wish it had not really i mean like i say we in the writing of it we just threw in everything and like episodes six and eight are so huge that uh i was like we're gonna have to cut something you know and and you know a few minor things got cut but but again this is a testament to simon's production skills you know he just figured it out and and essentially both of those episodes are like are like movies uh, in and of themselves and they're so massive we almost had to cut um like we barely got it on the day. We almost had to cut what I call the Hugo Boss scene, where uh, Adriel is picking out suits. You know, so uh, you know, should I go with the modern suit for the for, for, for the modern savior or Messiah classic? You know, and he's picking up robes versus Hugo Boss suits. And it's, I just love that scene. And William Miller and and uh, mm-hmm. Tristan, the place Father Vincent, are so good in that scene. And it's the moment where where vincent realizes oh i i don't think this guy's jesus after all i think he might be you know sort of an arrogant uh, jerk and uh maybe his head's not not in the right place and all all three of us loved the scene and um but the production was like you know it's just not gonna be time to get it and uh and in fact we didn't get it when we were supposed to shoot it um and then simon picked it up and directed it uh, during his episodes, which added another scene on top of the massive amount of work he had to do. So, um, so no, we, we really got everything in that we wanted. Oh, they almost cut the, uh, they almost made us cut the, the waffle penises, um, uh, the, you know, the, the erotic pastries <laughs> van. And I was like, you can't cut the waffle penises. You know, that's, uh, that's one of my favorite <laughs> things. And Sylvia as mother superior just looking at it and like, Uh, so i'm so glad that we we kept that
1: thank god you did because it's made the internet go wild it really really has um (laughs) well i
0: thought you know it's it's so fun to be playing with you know they're nuns and and it's so fun to sort of play with the austerity of that of that title and what you think a, a nun is and to put them in situations that are are uh are um so uh, uh antithetical to what you normally would think a, a nun would do is is so much fun <laughs>
1: it, is, it certainly is and you're no stranger to uh, writing for action uh, as oh. i'm sure you're credited for propelling um you know dwayne johnson's career with the arrow scene in the scorpion king and uh
0: yeah you know yeah and you know uh how that happened so um I was called, uh, so I was yes, I was the last writer on, on *Scorpion King*, which was uh, the Rock's first movie, uh, first starring role in a movie. And they said we're having problems with the, we can't figure out the ending. Will you come out to the set? And I said sure. So they so Universal picked me up, drove me out to this desert set where this castle was, and I was with Chuck Russell, the director, and and Dwayne. And um, I was like, okay, so where is everything? Like he's he's been shot in the back uh the bad guy's got the got the girl and standing on the edge of the thing and he's gonna kill her i was like where's this bow and they said oh it's here it's in the party scene. So we showed it in the party scene i'm like where is it and they're like it's over there so i'm like okay so he spots the bow and he dives for it and grabs it like this and picks it up but he's got no arrow and he thinks and then he reaches back and yanks the arrow out of his back and knocks it and bam and he, and he shoots it and And Dwayne was like, Oh my God, I love that. And, and, uh, so, um, so, uh, that's, that's how that happened. And, and it's so cool to be able to, because, you know, because I was an actor and because I, you know, I had fight training and stuff. it's so cool to be on set and to suggest an action scene to, you know, Hugh Jackman or, or, or the rock or, or whomever and have it work, you know, is, is, is a rare gift
1: which is an awesome scene i've got to say and i absolutely love the scorpion king i've had kelly hugh on the show as well a little while while back and she was marvelous she really really was um so with with warrior nun the action is off the charts it really really is and i always you know give a shout out to the stunt team because i absolutely love the stunts i love the stunt world because they don't get enough recognition for what they do uh, so a massive yeah. shout, shout shout out to the stunt team on Warrior None But
0: yeah, they're astounding, know, astounding.
1: I mean, what was that like to write the scenes for those, you know, did you write the scenes for the uh, the big action scenes and what 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 was it like, you know, looking over those scenes as they were being filmed?
0: Um I t- I try to do a very specific thing with my action scenes and that's um you I try to write them from the perspective of character. So who a person is, who a character is dictates how they'll fight, how they'll. Um, so Beatrice is very controlled and very efficient. So she's all aikido and smooth moves. Ava does not to fight at all, and she's just energy and youth and so she's like just a brawler, that sort of thing and and, and Lilith is all sharp edges and, mm. and you know, uh, spiky and, and you know everything should reflect their character And so that sort of al- opens it up to to, um, to to tell the writer how how the, the, the fight scene should go um, like for example when, when uh, Beatrice is you know facing the uh, Cardinal Foster and, and all of his men and she's like, you stand between me and Ava Uh, and if you walk away, I'll show you mercy, you stay and you'll never walk again. And it's like what it is for, you know, when you, you know, she's always very controlled in the way she fights, but now you stand between me and Ava and now, you know, she's going to cut loose and and go wild. So once you have that component of it, um, you know, the action sequence feels like you're getting into, you know, you're living that, that moment with the character. And then you give it to the stunt people and they come up, you know, we come up in the room with a bunch of moves and a bunch of like story moments for the, for the thing, you know, it's uh, Beatrice will throw a, a knife until a phase like this and it will go through her, it'll sail through her head and hit somebody else in the face behind her. Um, but then the stunt team comes in and says, oh, what? Well, wouldn't it be great if she like walked up the wall and did a flip and then threw the knife or whatever. I'm like, oh well, it'd be great. Can any human being do that? And then they just do it. And so, um, so it's uh, yeah, it's enormously satisfying to, to see that come together, especially with just such a stellar team as uh, as we had. You know, we had a bunch of people from Game of Thrones, and you know, Game of Thrones really revolutionized shooting in in Spain and you know many other countries. And so, our production people were just just top-notch our, uh, you know christina our costumer barbara uh, perez solo who designed the sets um you know our sets are just gorgeous mm. uh, you can't they're so gorgeous you can't even tell which ones are sets and which ones are on locations so um and i'm not allowed to tell you
1: <laughs> so from relationships on 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 screen to cap- captivating storylines you know what would you say warrior nun's greatest achievement is from a an executive producer's point of view
0: well, the, I think the greatest achievement comes in the in the numbers that you you referenced. You know, one hundred percent critics' rating and ninety nine percent audience rating with eight thousand people chiming in. That you can't, you know, you can literally do one point better than that. So those are better grades than I ever got in school, and and I feel like uh, that's an indication of success. You know, when mm-hmm. you, you know, David Mamet said, "There's only one rule in writing: don't be boring," and um, and I feel like we accomplished that. I feel like people, uh, people are very excited about the show. Somebody on, 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 uh, Twitter yesterday said, you know, this season two is like crack. I don't know how you, how you did it. And, and, um, and so, you know, it's so nice when people are, are moved like that or, or you see them, you know, in videos crying over, over scenes that you wrote. It, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just enormously gratifying and. nice to make Mm. make people happy
1: and talking about the fans we've got uh, a few fans fan questions um so the first one is from sister they and them uh do you have a favorite scene or location that you wrote and shot
0: oh god um well i have many favorite scenes i particularly like the scene where ava is asking beatrice you know where beatrice is saying your only option now is to run, go hide like this. And Ava asks her to, you know, if I went, would you come with me? You know, we could go back to the Alps, back to the bar, Hans and the regulars. I just think that's such a beautiful scene and they play it so well. Um, but location-wise, there's a scene where uh, Pope Doretti is uh, interrogating this guy, torturing this guy in the Vatican catacombs. And we were in... Um, uh, so we were in this giant church, uh, the church where we shot the demon uh, baptism scene. Um, we were scouting it, and somebody somebody worked at the church said, "Do you want to see the crypt?" And we were like, "Yeah!" So we go down this, you know, you see it on in the show. You go down this ancient staircase, and then into this oval room that just that's just lined with stone coffins, and it was so beautiful, and it was just like. Uh, it was just like, um, you know, it was like a set out in Indiana Jones or something, except it was real. And so, you know, I urge everybody to, to take a look at that set and or that, that location, because it was so mind-blowingly cool and, and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So, And there were a lot of places. I mean, we shot in the, the King Philip's Palace and, you know, just these, these unbelievable, the, the, the production value you get from Spain. Sorry, I've got mm-hmm. my little dog. Uh, the production value you get from spain is ridiculous
1: i mean again the low the the locations i mean i used to live in spain and i absolutely oh, yeah. love the culture i used to live on on yeah. uh minorca uh which is oh, the wow. same island as um olivia's from who plays camila uh so oh, that's cool. yeah, yeah so uh, so i lived there for a year absolutely loved love, loved it but oh, to spend yeah. that time there is absolutely awesome um Another one uh, from Babu. Um, I love these names on Twitter. Um, Do they already have a story for Rhea's realm, or is it something they're still trying to figure out as they go?
0: Uh, Yeah, well, um, yeah, actually, I was texting with uh, Simon the other day and and, uh, suggesting, um, you know, discussing uh, storylines for Rhea and how that world uh, will play out. Mm. But, I mean, you know, I can't tell you what they are.
1: <laughs> that is fine. That is fine. So I've always thought as well that obviously now we've finished Season 2 and we're waiting eagerly for this announcement for Season 3. Um, mm-hmm. You know, are the actors that are all involved, are they obviously free to go and, and start other projects? Or are, are they on hold for a certain amount of time? It just makes me wonder because... If it gets renewed, and it will get renewed, it's got to get renewed. Um, you know, how is that a scheduling-wise, you know, job to get everyone back together, you know, get the band back back, back together?
0: Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know the specifics of their contracts, but typically um, they have a hold over you for a certain period of time um, where they can say, look, this is first priority. Uh, you have to come back when we call you back. Um, but so, you know, sometimes they take too long, sometimes they exceed the hold, uh, you never know. It, it, it's, you know, it's a huge logistical, um, effort to, uh, to get everybody to, uh, back together again. But again, I think that everybody on the show, um, it's, you know, it's really a labor of love. And, and so, um, I, you know, everybody makes their, their best efforts to come back together as a family.
1: Mm. I mean, have, have have you heard anything about a season three?
0: Um I, no, not, not yet.
1: Because it was like a month after season one finished that we got season, you know, two green lit um and simon yeah. told told the cast on a U- youtube vi- video so i think everyone's waiting for an early christmas present they really really are but i presume that yeah. it's going to be all out on social media as soon as the news breaks but again i mean mm-hmm. look at um is it a show what was the show called uh, the Bas- bastard son and the devil himself um right. which is on net netflix amazing show and that's been cancelled it hasn't got a a second season so that's just been announced which i i'm i'm really shocked at and do do you think the way streaming works now it's sort of it's any person's game you know because is it based on from your point of view the quality of what the show is or do you think it's just you know working numbers at netflix's head office
0: well, I think that every streamer is different, every network is different, um, but I think that Netflix more than most is concerned with the numbers of, you know, and not just how many people, but which people in which countries are are, are buying in, and um, so no, I think that has a lot to do with it, and it's, you know, which is really frustrating from a, a viewer's perspective, because you fall in love with a show, and then mm-hmm for whatever reason it doesn't make an, make the proper dent in Brazil or, or something you know something that's got nothing to do with you and, and so um yeah that can be that can be enormously frustrating so yeah I know I, I don't think it's just about quality
1: I mean I know the fans have been talking uh, about uh, you know it would be nice for a potential if if we didn't get a season three to have a Beatrice, a Beatrice um spin-off <laughs> mm. <laughs> because she's going on her journey. It could be like Kung Fu, but right. you know, with Beatrice.
0: <laughs> I would do that in a second. I, uh, you know, Beatrice is such an amazing character. Such an amazing character, and, and Christina Tonteri Young is so good, embodying that character. So uh, yeah, I'd be down for that.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Let me know where to show up. So I, I just wanted to give a shout out because obviously you you are a race a writer a producer but you also are a director and I've got this wonderful mo- movie here which is Wolves. Oh, yes and I loved it absolutely love loved, oh, loved, okay. loved it I thought it was an awesome movie everyone needs to go out and watch it uh, great oh, cast'll okay. you'll, 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 you'll recognize the lead lead there from uh, you know an X-Men movie he played mm. is it havoc? I think he it, played havoc. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, Lucas Till and Jason Momoa and some other great actors in, in, in there. And obviously this was your di- directorial debut. Uh, have you got any yes. plans to direct any more movies in the
0: future? Uh, I, you know, I was supposed to direct something this, uh, this spring, a little horror movie, but it, it just, uh, just kind of fell apart. Um, yeah, I do, but I, Want to make sure that whatever I do is is um, uh, you know that 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 the story is right that that we have the right production team in, involved uh, and that we can execute something that's that's really unique and and sort of takes it to the next level. So um, yeah, I have a film that I wrote that I'd like to direct that I've been taking out to actors recently, and so hopefully that'll come together. But you know, any film project you're putting together takes. In my experience, an average of five to ten years before it, you know, mm. finally gets greenlit, if it ever gets greenlit at all. So, uh, so I don't know when that's happening, but um, Watch this but hopefully space. I'll I'll come out with my yeah exactly I'll come out with my sophomore effort. Uh, I mean, obviously you've so you know, worked as, as well,
1: later. you've worked as well with Zack Snyder and Brian Singer. Mm-hmm you know what would they like to 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 work with because the thing that i don't get is when you get negative feedback about certain directors so we've had Mm. negative feedback in the press about brian singer uh, and josh whedon uh, and many others the way personally i look at it is that a director is like your boss at work you may not get on with them but they get the job done Um, you know Mm. they're not there i suppose to be liked they're there to get again the job done i mean what would they like to work with from your perspective i mean i know zach is sort of a from from what i've been told he's a bit of a hippie you know um samantha wynn who i had on the show said that the first day that she went on set he was there on set on a skateboard and she didn't even re- re- realize who he was he was a director um so what were they like to work with from your perspective
0: well, Zach, uh, I only visited the watchman set for about three days. I went up to Vancouver and, and, uh, so I didn't really, I wasn't working with Zach while he was making the movie, but I did visit with him and, and his wife, Deborah, who produced the movie and the cast and, and, um, and you know, like I say, it wasn't, we weren't working. The script was already done, but he was so, uh, kind and, and, um, you know, respectful to me and, and of what, what I had put together for the film. And uh, it was, it, it was great. And, you know, Zach just strikes me as, as, as a, you know, very confident, very, um, very kind and smart person. Uh, now, Brian Singer, um, I did, you know, I produced a movie with Brian, my first little movie. And then I worked on X-Men 1 and X-Men 2 with him. And you know, uh, Brian is, you know, I mean, there's stories, uh, about how, uh, volatile he can be and, and how, um, uh, crazy he can be. And, and those stories are true. And, you know, but at the same time, uh, like you say, he gets the job done. You know, he has a very specific way of getting his movies made and, He's a very—he's a brilliant person. I, it kind of reminds me of what I hear Jim James Cameron is is like. Mm. You know, he'll he'll flip out and he'll scream at you, but it's because he's so frustrated that he's so far ahead of where the movie needs to be, and and he's frustrated because you're not seeing what's in his head. And I feel like that's the, it's the same thing with Brian, where he's afraid that people aren't keeping up with him that the movie is going to uh suffer for it and so you know it gets tense and you know he can he can certainly uh tear a strip off you and in front of everybody and and you know i i don't know you know we had this argument with uh we had this discussion anyway in the writer's room on warrior nun with with simon because you know simon's very very nice very respectful always has control of the of the situation and never ever you know freaks out or screams at you and that's um that's certainly more pleasant uh people shouldn't have to be abused on set to be -hmm. in a movie but at the same time you know stanley kubrick would scream at you and and Mm -hmm. he was arguably the greatest director in history so um you know everybody gets there in their own way and some some directors rule by love and some directors rule by fear and some directors do do both and um I think you just have to look at the work in the end and decide whether it's worth it. People used to say, um, on a Bryan Singer film, never again, I'll never, I'll never work on a, on a movie for that man again. And then they'd see the movie and then they'd be like, okay, I'll come back. And you know, that, that was almost uh, a universal experience, you know, because it's rare to work on a well-directed movie. Mm. So you put up with a lot.
1: I mean, I mean, Superman Returns. Um, I thought was actually all right. Um, you know, again, I thought a great. It was a great nod to the Donna era, uh, and bright sure. and Brand Brandon Ralph. I thought I thought was awesome as Superman. So it's quite yeah, disappointing it to hear those sort of, you know, stories come 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 out. But you know, it's again, we're only pe- people, so we have our bad days and good days. But the question yeah. is, what kind of director were you on Wolves? Were you a Stanley Kubik or was you a uh, no yeah.
0: <laughs> no I no I uh, I yelled at somebody one one day because they were supposed to bring two cameras and they didn't and then they told me I couldn't get uh, cutaway shots and I was like this is a this is a movie we're supposed to have two, two, two cameras on set and I did uh, uh, I did uh, raise my voice at, at that point but that was that was it you know the rest of the time no, I I don't. My my style on set is really I want everybody to feel uh, motivated and invested, and I want them to be having fun. And um, I feel like the more joy and and uh, emotion you put into it, the more the more the audience gets out of it. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't like the I don't like the atmosphere on sets to be ugly. Uh, and again, I I don't think that one way is is necessarily better than the other i think that you know on a set where everybody's afraid that can sometimes add a an element of energy to the film that might not otherwise be there uh but that's not that's not how i how i do it i want i want people to be invested and i want them to enjoy the experience
1: i do apologize just there king shark just came up to say hello on on the screen a a moment ago because my next quest question exactly the next question i was going to say was you've literally done everything in this industry you've as i said at the beginning you've acted directed produced, voiced um and then obviously you've done good old king shark in the flash which i thought was awesome it really really was Um, but if you wanted to be recognized for one area in your career which area would you want to be recognized the most for
0: Um, well, I don't, I, you know, it sounds weird for someone in the entertainment industry, but I don't really care about recognition, um, beyond the fact that it, it allows you to work on more, more projects. Um, I only care about, you know, was the experience satisfying? Did I do my best and did, did the audience appreciate it? So, um, you know, people ask me all the time, like, for example, they say, what, what was the most fun metal gear game? You, you, you know, which, which one did you enjoy working on the most? I'm like, I, I, enjoyed them all equally. Like they're all like every single job I get to do in the entertainment industry, whether it's acting or writing, directing, producing, it's all amazing. And, 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 and I think you never, it's very dangerous to lose that sense of gratitude that you get to, to do these jobs. Uh, for a living um, so uh, so yeah I don't think about I don't think about recognition I don't think about how much people are gonna like me I, I, I just think about will the experience be amazing will the audience love it and and that's uh, that's the extent of my control over
1: it you know which is really refreshing to hear because when you were at Manchester when I met you in person you know your line was absolutely enormous and everyone was buzzing and the great great thing is you took time with every single fan. And they were walking away, absolutely buzzing, smiles from ear to ear. And I was just watching every single one as they were walking off. And I just think that's wonderful that you're giving back as well, going going to these wonderful conventions. I mean, when we talk about yeah, your- well,
0: well, I mean, the, the reason they walk away buzzing is because, you know, I, at the end of the encounter, I walk up and I say, by the way, you're pretty good. And so you know, like right in their ear, and and it's so surreal to hear the snake voice, you know, come out of somebody's face, and um, and yeah, it's, I mean, that's just being snake is just like having a superpower, you know, you just change your voice and it makes people happy. So, uh, so it's a pretty cool thing to 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 have, and it and I do really like everybody to you know, because people get nervous and you know they're afraid to talk to me or whatever. You know, uh, but I just want everybody to feel at ease, and I want everybody to feel like they've had, you know, a cool experience, and and that we genuinely connected and hung out.
1: And have you got any plans to come over to the UK again for any conventions in the future?
0: Uh, no immediate plans, but uh, but any time they invite me, I'm I'm there. I I love the UK. I'd love to go to Scotland, and uh, I went. I did one in Dublin, which was amazing, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll you know. And I love London. I've got to got to live in London for 6 months while we were working on one iteration of Watchmen and that was incredible and so yeah I'll come back anytime
1: and do you know what's on my Chris Christmas list that has just arrived but I can't watch it is the ultimate edition of Watchmen um
0: oh that's my favorite that's my favorite version I think that that's the one that you know took like 2 years to edit and and it's the, it's the full experience and so yeah, yeah I, I I think you're going to enjoy it
1: and in four K, I cannot wait. And have you kept anything from any of your projects? Do you, do you, do you keep any mementos as sort of souvenirs?
0: They don't really let you keep too many things as a as a writer. What have I got? I don't know. I keep little yeah. I keep little things There's little doodads on my on my shelf. You can see. Um, so the down by the king sharks, there the there's the wolf guy. Mm-hmm. And that was a maquette that they made up for Beast uh, for X Men Three, I think, and then we repurposed it to design um, Cadence uh, Wolf colors on wolves. Um, but no, I when we finished the first X Men movie, uh, Brian Singer had taken what well, he took. He took Professor Xavier's chair and he took five sets of wolverine claws you know that you just you know Mm -hmm. you just hang on to them and then it looks like you've got the claws and i said hey brian um maybe you could give me one set of the claws and then you'd still have four (laughs) claws and you could play wolverine all you want uh (coughs) with your friends but i'd still have a set and i could mount them on the wall and he was like no and so uh so he wouldn't give it to me and then imax sent me uh, this promotional thing from Logan. So yeah. now I have a set of claws, but they're just uh, totally fake. And um, so I was really bummed I never got my Wolverine claws.
1: Maybe one day there are a few out there still uh, going around the market. Uh, the sponsors of my my show prop store. They're based in LA and in London. Oh, yeah, London, and they sell and buy screen use props and. Th- I've I have i have actually held some proper wol, wol, wolverine claws um oh, cool. uh, which is pretty cool because I go down to the heg- headquarters when they do their um their auctions so so I had um Gandalf's sword from return of the king in oh, so cool. in, in my hands that went for like 300,000 pounds it's just amazing it really really is I've had Indiana Jones's hat whip and jacket in 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 my hands and superman's costume it's just amazing it really really is um but um before we bid farewell uh are you still on cameo because i noticed that you do some wonderful things on camp camp cameo is that still still going can people get these last minute christmas messages for their loved ones
0: Uh, they certainly can yeah if you uh yeah you go to uh on twitter you go through book cameo um and uh, you know, the, the link is in my bio and yes, if you want Solid Snake to wish anyone a happy holidays or a Merry Christmas, I'm happy to do it.
1: There you go. I will put the link at the bottom of my video, but David, you've been a great guest. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor and literally the amount of stuff that you've done, you know, we haven't touched on Watchmen and and loads of other things. It, I, you know, it's been crazy trying to come up with some questions for you because my mind's been like exploding it really has but do you know what I, I i i think an hour is enough of your time and i'm grateful uh for you to come on the show uh, keep safe and uh stay super my friend it's been a pleasure
0: thank you thank you you too brian really great questions and thank you for all your support of warrior men thank you for listening to be more super the podcast this podcast has been brought to you by Propstore.com. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with Be More Super and get all the the behind-the-scenes content, you can follow us on Instagram at BeMoreSuperThePodcast and on Twitter at BeMoreSuper. Keep safe and stay super.